Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Good morning. How many of you enjoy improvisation? Anyone? Anyone? Have you taken a class? Have you gone to a show of improv? Anyone? No one at all. No one. No. Okay, I had a goal of like maybe I'd have you like yell out something that I'd have to include in my sermon, but I don't trust you people. So, okay. Um, I have heard about some improvisational stories over the years. My, I first got into it watching Whose Line Is It Anyway? Anyone ever seen that show? There was a British version I watched for a while, then they brought it to the U.S., and it's fun to see the different ways it's grown over the years and the new people who've come in and come out. And yeah, it's very fun. So if you don't know, they will ask for words from the audience. They can, you know, they'll have a certain game. They'll ask for a place, a situation, a person, and whatever the audience yells, then they have to then act it out in the moment. Now, have you also heard of Freestyle Love Supreme? Because they do the similar concept, but then they write hip-hop songs on the spot. And one of the founders is Lin-Manuel Miranda, who you probably know. That it is just fascinating, again, just that they can just, their brains, I don't understand how their brains work. And I know some of you think quickly on your feet. You've got a snappy comeback. And I'm always like, Five hours later, I'm like, oh, I could have said that. That was good. That was good. I'm a little slow. Uh, I did hear some improvisational stories this week by a classic comedian, Carol Burnett. She came to Cincinnati. She's 89 years old now. She shared stories from the stage. It was so much fun to hear. Um, I love this picture I found. There's Steve Martin and Betty White are in a skit on the Carol Burnett show. But she said Tim Conway, who was dressed as the alien maybe person over here on the left, that anytime they have a script, he would just do whatever he could in the moment to improvise just to make everybody else try to break, laugh in the scene. And yeah, so improv used as a weapon. Now, we've had to do a little improv at church this weekend. Thank you all for being flexible because we have Echo Kids in the service with us. Hi, guys. Hi, friends. Um, we're going to talk today as we talk about scripture. I'm going to have some things for you guys to draw if you'd like, because I want you to participate with us. So if you have your paper and your crayons, I do have some fun pictures for you to draw for me today. If you want to show me later. Now we are trying to stay flexible as ever in COVID and keep everyone safe. So thank you all for being flexible and improving with us. Now the reason improv was on my mind today because I kept thinking of the words, yes, and. And do you know, have you heard that as like a, as a foundation of improv comedy? Yes, and. The idea is that when you are up on a scene and you have your scene partners and someone says something, it might be out in left field, but you're like, yes, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to take this moment. I'm going to join in with you. And I'm going to add my own creativity to the scene and keep it moving forward. So you're supposed to about teamwork, right? Like in the moment, no matter what your teammate does, you're supposed to join in. Yes. And we'll keep going. We'll make it better. 
yes and it can be a lot of different things too and on my mind this week I kept thinking yes this is true and that's true paradox I was thinking yes this happens and we also have this responsibility I was thinking yes this happens and people sacrifice anyway So those are three pieces of yes and that we see in three bits of scripture today. So we're going to be in Luke 20 at the very end. And we're going to go into Luke 21 because the original Bible didn't have chapters and they're all connected. So we're going to read today in our journey of the redeemed. We've got all kinds of people that we're meeting that Jesus interacted with. Some he praised, some he critiqued. Today we'll meet both. A little background before we begin the first section of Luke, is that we have talked over the weeks that the teachers of the law of the day, they were the spiritual authorities. They didn't always love Jesus, did they? Because he was teaching about God. That was, that was, their, that was their gig. That was their realm. And now Jesus was coming through. And so at times, they would just like, pop quiz, Jesus. And they would They would just ask him the weirdest questions. They would try to trip him up. They want to publicly intimidate him. They're being a little bit of a bully. So we are going to begin in this scripture. We're going to dig into a few things that they questioned Jesus earlier. But we're going to start off where Jesus is actually asking a question back to the teachers. He's like, okay, I got one of my own. Here we go. Verse 41. Then Jesus said to them, and them is the teachers of the law, Why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? So kids, while we're going to dig into the scripture, did you hear that word footstool? Do you know what a footstool is? Have you ever propped your feet up on something while you were sitting in a chair? This is kind of a step stool, but I could prop my feet on it if I'm sitting in a chair. Can you draw a picture while we're talking about this scripture of somebody propping their feet up on a footstool? Adults, you can do it too if you feel like that's fine. But for the rest of us, this scripture, we are looking at a yes and as a paradox. It says that the Messiah is Lord. It says the Messiah is the son of David. How can this be? Yes, this thing is true. And it's seemingly opposite happens to be true. I just really like that Jesus gave them a riddle and they don't answer. Like, spoiler alert, there's no further verses. They don't actually answer. We were watching the Batman recently. The Riddler is like my favorite villain there. I just like riddles. Die Hard 3, there's riddles, okay? I like a good riddle movie, even in an action movie. So Jesus, is, he's quoting from Psalm 10. And if all these teachers of the law ask him a question, he's like, okay, how is this true? It says that David, King David, who wrote the Psalms, he wrote many of them, and he was also like a revered, a revered person in Jewish history. He was the one that people looked up to. They wanted to claim that he was part of their ancestry. And so now it says that, that God promised David. Back in Second Samuel, he said, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. 
your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who built a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So right there, God promised that people would be on the throne in the line of David for the years to come. But that hadn't happened in a little bit. And so now, when we explored Jesus' birth, it said that his whole lineage could link back to David. So here, God is fulfilling a promise that the Messiah, the, the awaited king to come, who would be in an eternal throne, that is Jesus connected to David. Now, David, in the song, calls the Messiah his Lord. But all the people in the Jewish history were like, but the Messiah is supposed to be the son, like the great, 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 however many greats, grandson of David. And so how can he be both younger than him and socially, like, lower as a son, you know, the generations lower, but also his Lord, the one that David would worship and revere? Jesus was trying to show them to expand their mindset of the Messiah. Because everyone kept picturing an earthly king, that the Messiah would be the one to come in and lead Israel, make a way for them. But Jesus was trying to show that he was God in human form. He was Lord, and yet he humbled himself to live on earth as a son. So, That is the way Jesus was trying to to challenge their thinking. But while they're standing there, Jesus turns to his own disciples and he makes a little commentary about these guys. He says in verse 45, while all the people were listening, so this is a public situation, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. They have the most important seats in the synagogues. They want the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Okay, kids, you want something else to draw? We said there was a robe. Okay, I don't have a long. I wanted to show something long and flowy. I might have brought the sloth blanket before. So imagine a costume of someone long and flowing, very dramatic, showing their special clothes. If you want to draw somebody in a very long and flowing costume, a robe, a cape even, go for it. All right. So we have this show, right? You can imagine the spectacle of the teachers of the law. They're kind of like celebrity wannabes. You know, they're just like, I want to be an influencer. I want to have the places of honor. It says that they wanted to be greeted in the marketplaces. There was actually a Jewish cultural situation that people would rise in respect of a spiritual teacher who was passing by. Well, they really liked that attention. And also they would, you know, they were chosen to sit at the most special seat at the banquet or in the synagogue. If the chair, you know, you see these fancy chairs up here on the side of our, what a, like a fancy chair where everyone could see them honor them, know that they are learned men. So they felt like they enjoyed this role. They appreciated the honorable part of leading. 
But what Jesus was critiquing was that they were missing the responsibility part of leadership. The words here says they devour widows' houses. That is, that's quite a picture. That's a traumatic picture. And people have wondered what exactly this means. And it could have been that widows dedicated their property to the temple and they were misusing that. Or they could have taken advantage of their hospitality or accept a pledge of debt that they knew these women could not afford to repay. Or did they charge for legal advice that was against the law? There's a lot of different ways. We don't know. But somehow they are abusing their authority and the people who are harmed are some of the most vulnerable in their society, devouring widows' houses. God spoke so many times in the Old Testament, in the law that set up who the Jewish people were supposed to be and who leaders were supposed to be. And they were called again and again to care for widows, orphans, those people who were foreign to the land. They were supposed to be noticed, seen, and cared for. Their yes, yes, you are revered as a teacher, and you still have a job to do to care about people. Yes and here equals responsibility. Jesus modeled the type of leadership he wanted his disciples to follow. He said, don't be that. They just like one part of leadership. They don't like the serving part. Jesus, what did he do? Sure, he taught. Yes, he spoke to the masses and people knew who he was like a local celebrity. And he went off in unseen places and spoke one-on-one. Saw people who were hurting and sick. He, he took the initiative and healed people who hadn't yet even asked because he noticed and he cared. Yes, he was a teacher and he was a servant leader. That's the responsibility he took on. He said that was the way God designed all of us, much less leaders, spiritual leaders. And Jesus says to his followers, do this. Not that. We've all seen leadership when it's good. And sadly, we've all seen it when it's been harmful. And Jesus says, people will be held accountable. Yes, you will be held accountable. And I think based on everything we've read in Luke and... I'll still forgive you if you repent. And that's hope for us. Yes, we're held accountable for actions. And that might require punishment when we have broken faith. And we keep being offered the chance to repent. Now let's keep going. Luke 21 After he was just saying this about the leaders and one of the things they were doing was hurting widows, he happens to notice a widow. And you might have heard this story before. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, 
This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Okay, kids, I've got, I've got some coins up here. Whoop, I dropped them. If you want to draw some coins, someone holding two coins, and afterward, if you come show me your drawing, I might give you two coins each. All right, I'm bribing children to hang out with me. We might have heard this story on its own, but look at the way this was building up. I don't know, I just always heard this as like, it's a thing, and it's about giving, and it's like, but look, the teachers of the law were supposed to protect and to notice and to care. And here's a woman, and her generosity is what Jesus points out. But Jesus noticed her. Were the other leaders noticing her? Were the teachers of the law realizing that she put in her last coins? What was she going to do next? Did anyone notice? Did anyone step up to help? God says a number of times how much he cares for the vulnerable. And in Psalm 68, 5, God is described as a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. That's who God is in his holy dwelling. He is not just standing up as a celebrity. He's bending down and finding those who are unseen. Jesus is God right there, and he's looking around, and he's noticing and defending a widow. First, let's look at what she gave. It says two copper coins. And then the original languages, we hear that it is two lepta. That is a one 128th of a denarius. What's a denarius? One equals a day's wage. So one 128th of one day's wage is what each of her coins is worth. She put in two. Also, what's interesting is that every male, adult male in the Jewish community were called by God to offer an offering every year to the temple, and they were asked to give two denarius. Denarii? I'm going to say it wrong. So you can see that she was giving one 128th of what other people could afford and were asked to pay annually. That's how small of amount this was. Now, people might also go to the temple and offer free will offerings as part of their worship. They might offer some offering with their vow, And they're bringing things to God. And here's what they did with the temple donations. They would keep up the building. They would pay for the costs that surrounded the daily sacrifices on behalf of Israel. Additional sacrifices on holy days. They fed and they housed the Levites who cared for the temple. So that all the funds were going for these things. Full disclosure... We are a nonprofit church. We are 501c3 tax deductible. And every bit of the money that goes here, similar purposes. Upkeep of our facilities, cost of ministry, having staff who care for the body of the church. So every year our spending is tracked. We like to share it. You can, you can have this information at any time. Here's 2021. So you can see all the donations that came in equaled all the money we spent. 
It was like pretty close to the exact dollar. I was very excited about this. So we were able to share and use the resources. Try to do the percentages here just so you can kind of see where the funds go. You know, yellow, we pay the rent here. We don't own the building. They're very good to us. They're going to be redoing some stained glass and the roof. Going to have a nice fixed up building this summer. Uh, We give to both local and global missions. We have regular community partners. We try to do things in the community. Uh, We give money to those who are ministering here. Mikey and Katie are two of our missionaries who are members here. And we have missionaries in Poland and in Myanmar and Venezuela. And we also, it takes supplies, um, communion every week. It takes um, funds to do the ministries like kids' coloring pages or all the various supplies, the tech that we have going on here. And then there's three of us, Dylan, Shantae, and I. We each get um, a part-time wage, and it's just, this is where all the donations go. We're very clear. We use the funds and try to use it wisely. That is on us, our burden as leaders. And so now, let's look back at the widow. She's giving to the temple because she believes in these things. She believes she wants to care for God's house. She believes she wants to care for the the spiritual leaders there. Yes, she knew she was putting in her last two coins. And she did it anyway. That's sacrifice. Her sacrifice here is one of faith that the money was going to be used wisely. Faith that God would provide for her next meal. And it's love. That's love. We give to one another out of love. And she was trying to show her love to God and give that offering out of the depth of her faith and love. You know, following the critique that Jesus just gave, he just wanted the leaders to see. Just see her. See her faith. She's trying to support you. See her love of God. That's what you were instilling in people. Just notice her and take care of her and take a break from your seat of honor and step down and look closely. In the book of Acts, we see how the followers of Jesus then lived out trying to be the church. And I feel like they took this lesson that day and they lived it out. Because in Acts 4, it says all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, there were no needy persons among them all. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to those who had need. So I think these followers of Jesus, they watched what had been done and then they saw what they could do better. Even if they didn't have the funds, they sold things, they gave. If there were widows in need, that they would surely be cared for by these resources. They took Jesus' words and actions to heart. It's It's a very humbling picture, care for one another. So again, we might have heard of one of these pieces of stories, but hopefully you can see how it was weaved together, how Jesus himself, he was a yes and paradox. He was the Lord of all. He was a son who humbled himself. He was also 
a responsible person. Jesus was yes and in his responsibility. Yes, he spoke with authority and he served humbly. And Jesus had yes and in his sacrifice, the way he lived. Yes, it cost him it all when he went to the cross for us. And he did it anyway. So every week we ask. We ask a question you know is coming. On this journey of the redeemed, how do we live? How do we live like Jesus? How do we take these old, ancient words and live? I'd say let's take a little bit of lesson from improv. Let's live like yes and. Clearly, life throws stuff at us. and It feels a little like improv daily. So how do we react? How do we live in the spirit of teamwork? Well, if we look at yes and as a paradox, we could like, we admit that life is complex. It's not always easy to choose. Sometimes two things are true at once, and that feels messy, but it's, that's what life is. So let's just, just know that's going to happen. And yes and in our responsibility, I'm looking at that yes. We have to recognize that we're called to lead in our lives, lead by example, and that's going to require some sometimes being joyful in the, in the exciting moments and sometimes hum, humbly serving in the hard work. Sometimes it's hard work. Yes and. Yes, we're called to be the bigger person sometime. Well, that's not fair. Yes and we're called to do it anyway, because we're following a Lord and Savior who sacrificed his life, who sacrificed when he lived on earth, and that's the model we're called to follow. And so, yes, sometimes we're going to have to do the courageous work of stepping toward people that we don't like, but they're in the scene with us, just as an improv, and let's try to recognize their humanity even when we don't agree. Yes, we speak out against broken systems. And let's look at the broken humans who made those systems. Yes, we cry out for the humanity people are damaging. And remember that they're human too. Every day is improv. Maybe you've been handed a scene that you're just not comfortable. You didn't get to write it. You didn't get a choice in it, but there you are living it. And it might come in the form of a diagnosis, a life change that threw you for a loop. And I just pray, I just pray for your strength to come on stage anyway. You get to choose, even though you don't choose the situation, you get to choose how you join the scene, how you are present. You can pray and breathe deeply. And hopefully find a way to live out Jesus' truth and his love in that scene, in that day. Whether you're dealing with a confrontation, whether you're dealing with heartbreak, whether you're dealing with joy. By recognizing the humanity of the person in the scene with you. You'll look a little bit more like Jesus that day. And I hope we can all take a step toward fixing what's broken in this world. By saying yes and. Will you pray with me?
Jesus, yes, we love you. And we ask you to give us strength to live like you today and tomorrow and the next day. Thank you for modeling for us what it's like to live in paradox, what it's like to live with responsibility, what it's like to live sacrificially. We love you and honor you today. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.